0: in that case, I pronounce you lucky.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
3: Welcome to a special presentation of Turn on the Jets Digital. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at jet one And as we discuss the hiring of Adam Gase as the brand new head coach, of the New York Jets, by the way, it did an in-depth candidate profile on Adam Gase. You can catch it in our archives. It dropped yesterday with Travis Wingfield of LockedOnDolphins and LockedOnDolphins.com. It goes through his entire tenure as the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, the good and the bad. It was an interesting time there in Miami for three years, to say the least. You can also check out the candidate profiles that we did on Todd Monken and Matt Rule. And we're going to have the others that I had taped and was planning to release. Those will come out at some point as a Road Not Taken series. We've got one with Mike McCarthy, got one with Chris Richard, got one with... Jim Caldwell so those will be coming out at some point but right now let's talk about the man who's making all the news around here and that of course is Adam Gase who is the brand new head coach of the New York Jets coming in from the Miami Dolphins and to do that we bring in one of the absolute best on the Jets beat and really anywhere else Mr. Daryl Slater of NJ.com and New Jersey Advance Media. Daryl what's going on man?
2: Yeah, obviously a busy time here uh, with the Jets, and uh, I'm doing all right. I think I'm doing better than most Jets fans who are emotionally invested in this hire. Who <laughs> a lot of a lot of you folks are not uh, not too keen on Adam Gase, uh, but we'll, we'll get into all of it, I'm sure. Here,
3: yeah, and I'll say my piece about it a little bit later on. As everybody who listens to this podcast knows, this is a vehicle for Daryl to break news and talk about what's going on with the team. It's for you to get insights from an insider's perspective. It's not really supposed to be about me, but every once in a while, I talk a little bit more than normal, and today is going to be one of those days. But before we get to that, let's go through the whole process here, Daryl. Let's start at the very beginning. They had eight candidates. What went into determining who they wanted to interview for this job?
2: Well, I think the, it was pretty clear the focus was on offensive-minded guys. I mean, if you look at all of the guys who they, they talked to, I mean, Chris Richard was a, was a defensive, you know, is a defensive-minded guy, but in terms of all of, all of the other seven guys, Cliff Kingsbury, Eric Biennami, uh, Todd Munkin, um, uh, Matt Rule, um, and, uh, Adam Gase, Jim Caldwell, who am i missing, I don't know, Mike McCarthy, I think that's it, there might be one guy I'm missing, but, uh, they were defensive-minded or offensive-minded guys. I mean, it was pretty clear Christopher Johnson kind of came out and said uh, after the season when they fired Todd Bowles that, that that was going to be a plus, offensive background and quarterback development. And you could see it in terms of the guys they they targeted and in terms of the guys who were serious candidates at the end. So that was a priority, I think, as well as it should have been.
3: Daryl, it seems like Chris Richard, Eric Biennemi, and Jim Caldwell were never really serious contenders for this job, but Cliff Kingsbury might have been. He was the first one on this list that had any serious traction, that was off the board, ended up going to Arizona. He came in for an interview and then left and ended up signing with the Cardinals. To the best of your knowledge, what happened there? Was it a situation where, like with Matt Rule, they wanted some control over his coaching staff and he wasn't interested in letting them do that?
2: I'm not entirely sure about that part of it, but um you know, I think he was a wild card candidate and it was smart of the Jets to talk to him because he has a lot of um interesting ideas offensively. I don't I don't know if he's going to make a good NFL head coach. I think it's a risky hire, an out of the box hire by the Cardinals. I think it would have been the same with the Jets. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't I don't think that, that necessarily would have been the right move to hire him. Um, but he does have a lot of interesting ideas and picking his brain about those ideas is is worthwhile, I think, and I think maybe the Jets got something out of that. Um, but I just, you know, his track record as a head coach is really just not impressive enough, I think, as I said on here last time we were on,
3: It seemed like the Jets at one point were very intrigued by Mike McCarthy, the former Green Bay head coach. And the feeling was mutual because there was a report a couple of days ago from Adam Schefter saying that Mike McCarthy was either going to take the Jets job or he was going to sit out the year. We also saw reports previously that he had the Browns job if he wanted it, but would have had to keep Freddie Kitchens as his offensive coordinator. So he declined. Further reports about McCarthy were that he laid out his terms and said, this is what I want. If you'll give it to me, I'll take the job. Otherwise, I'm going to sit out for a year. Is that your understanding, and if so, is that what held the Jets back, or did they have other reservations?
2: Well, I think they they should have had other reservations, because, you know, there are reports coming out of, not even reports, but out of Green Bay now. Their their CEO just came out today and and said, you know, he talked to players who who said there was complacency there toward the end of McCarthy's time in Green Bay, so, you know, that's not a great sign, obviously, um, when you have that sort of situation. Obviously, we'll get into Adam Gase's red flags, but... Um, you know, the underachieving nature of what McCarthy did toward the end of his time in Green Bay is certainly a red flag. Um, there was no way that he was going to have um, the type of personnel control McCarthy that even Gase had in, in Miami in terms of control over the 53-man roster. Um, and and so I, I just, look, if he wanted that, this is, a, this is the wrong job he was looking for. Um, obviously, the Browns didn't want him, you know, enough to... Um, to go you know to go after him in any serious manner in terms of letting him run the ship there so um i think yeah there's some there were some red flags i think he would have been he would have been a, a competent head coach i think he could have done a good job with the jets um he's proven but obviously the jets wanted a guy who had been a head coach in the nfl before and they got one in you know, one of those type of guys engaged so um but yeah i think i think mccarthy would have done fine but um it's not like he really had any serious other interest besides the besides the Jets, and he, you know he came out with that thing about you know only considering the Jets. Well, they, they were really the only team that was considering you in terms of a uh, in terms of you know giving you the the, the serious uh, ability to to run the ship. So, uh, but if he wanted more power than than the traditional head coach, it's not you know that he was looking in the wrong situation.
0: Daryl, let's
3: move on to Matt Rule. There were reports flying all over the place, especially yesterday. Looked like it was just about a done deal, but then we found out that he was going to stay at Baylor, sent a text message to his coaches saying that he was going to be returning for the 2019 season. Reports coming out that a big part of his decision was the fact that the Jets apparently wanted a major hand in picking his coaching staff, and he wasn't interested in letting them do that. As far as you know, is that what happened?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of murky, but, you know, it's pretty standard for those discussions to happen in terms of, uh, staffing discussions, and it's important for who, who you hire. I mean, that's the bottom line. I mean, you look at Todd Bowles, like, he could never hire a competent offensive coordinator, really. Okay, like Shane Gailey had that one good year, but, you know, your staff is critical. Um, and if they didn't feel you know, right about who he was presenting to them. And, you know, they obviously gave him an opportunity to present his guys and if they didn't feel right about it, it's certainly within their rights to say, well, wait a minute, and, you know you know, they're the ones running the search and running the show and they have to decide if the candidate is gonna present good enough options. And that's one thing Charlie Castley mentioned when I talked to him is uh about this search is that um You know, that's one of the most important parts of the interview process, the staff that the coach presents, like who is going to be, who are going to be his guys. So, um, if the Jets didn't feel comfortable enough about that with that rule, and maybe they brought him in and thought, look, you know, let's give this guy a chance to see who he presents and let's see, you know, what, what, what it, what it looks like. Um, then it's certainly well within their rights to do that. Now, obviously, if you don't have confidence that a college head coach, a guy with no, basically zero NFL Coaching experience in any capacity, except for one year as an assistant line coach. If you don't think that guy can form an NFL staff, then why bring him in in the first place? But I guess they figure you at least give him a chance. You know, at least give him a chance to come up with some guys who you think might be might be fits. Um, but obviously, they didn't feel that that was the case. And I think rule would have been similar to Kingsbury, not an out of the box hire. Look, I mean, he was he's been successful as a program builder at Temple. And Baylor, but that's not the Jets. I mean, it's a different situation. You know, you're not recruiting, a large part of your job as a college coach is recruiting players. You're not doing that as an NFL head coach. It's different. Um, it's not the same thing. So I think that the rule hire would have been, would have been a risky one. You know, I think that they, they certainly could have done, they certainly could have done better than him in terms of getting an offensive minded guy with experience. You know, I think McCarthy would have been a good hire. But engaged in some ways could be a good hire, but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just think that that maybe would have been a leap too far with entrusting the job to a to a college head coach uh, like Matt Rule, who who doesn't have really any NFL experience to speak of at all. So that's my take on him.
3: Todd Monken to me was the most interesting candidate here because of the variety of experience on his resume and the fact that he succeeded everywhere he went depends on who you ask some people said he was in the mix i know manish Mehta from the daily news had said that some people painted him as a bit of a long shot and that was kind of the impression that i got because he was out taking offensive coordinator interviews yesterday so i figured he thought he wasn't getting the jets job what was your impression of monkin throughout this search was he ever a serious candidate
2: yeah i think so i mean look i mean it yeah, he made it, uh, you know, he made it in there and interviewed with them and, and, and I think they took him seriously. I and mean, he, and his credentials should be taken seriously in terms of a program builder. You look at what he did at Southern Miss. The team won no, zero games before he got there, the year before he got there. And, um, you know, he built them into a, to a successful team that I think won the Conference USA Championship game, won, you know, won nine games or whatever his last year. Uh, doesn't, didn't have a ton of head, head coaching experience, just those three years at Southern Miss, but did a pretty good job in Tampa. And, and developed players to a pretty good level in terms of what he got out of guys like Mike Evans and Tampa and um uh, you know what he did at Southern Miss when in difficult situations. So I you know, look it wouldn't have been a sexy hire, but I think he would have been a good one. I think he would have done a good job. I think if you look at the guys I think Munkin, I think um uh Gase, and I think uh mccarthy all would be fine hires i think gase could potentially be a fine hire we'll see i mean they all have their own issues and red flags and um and we'll get in. i'm sure we'll get into that here in a bit with gase but um but yeah i think uh know, yeah, i think munkin would have been a been a good hire even though not necessarily a big name he, he could have done a good
3: job let's get to gase now who obviously got the job it sounds like again they were very interested in McCarthy, couldn't come to an arrangement. They were very interested in Rule, couldn't come to an arrangement, and so Gay seems like he was their third choice. Is that more or less to your understanding how it played out?
2: No, I don't. I don't necessarily think that's the case, um, and I, yeah, I don't. None of the you could make the argument that all three of those guys could have done poorly or well. You know, four really—Rule, monk and Gase McCarthy. Um, so there was no definitive number one candidate in terms of the reality of the situation. Now, did the Jets prefer one guy over the other? Maybe, but um, I think you know they—they they got a guy they won't like here in Gase. And um, you know, if they—if they really did not—if he was really that far down their pecking order, they certainly could have bent on some stuff with that rule. I mean, <laughs> like if—if if they didn't. You know, they're, they're going after their definitive third candidate. Um, then, then why not just let Matt Rule have a little bit more flexibility in picking a staff or let him pick a staff. So, um, I certainly think that they, they held Gates in high enough regard to, uh, to make him the guy, obviously. So, um, I think, you know, again, I, there are red flags in, uh, in Miami. Um, he does have experience working with the quarterbacks and developing quarterbacks. Not necessarily. Look, I mean, the Peyton Manning didn't need name developing, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's had offensive experience, successful offensive experience. And then some years where it didn't go so well. So I think if you look at, um, you know, what they did overall in Miami, I think it was underwhelming in terms of the offensive results based on what his reputation was going into that job. know, let's see if he can rediscover it with a quarterback in Darnold who's probably, Definitely, you know. At this point, looks like got a higher ceiling than a guy like Ryan Tannehill.
0: With lucky
1: land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
0: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: This is the
0: Overtime Podcast
3: Network. <laughs> Daryl, like I said before, normally this show is a venue for you to be our insider. Somebody that has sources inside the building and with the team. And so you keep us up to date on what's really going on through the eyes of somebody who really knows. But once in a while, I talk a little bit more than normal. Today's going to be one of those days. Let me get this out of the way. I hope that Adam Gase succeeds and does a great job here. I absolutely hope that. Also, on the plus side, I think he will do just fine with Sam Darnold. Darnold was starting to do okay with Jeremy Bates. If he could do well with Jeremy Bates, he could do well with just about anybody. And on top of that, I do think that Gase's offensive system is pretty good for him, especially since Darnold operates at a high level. And as we know from talking to Travis Wingfield yesterday on our Adam Gase Meet the Candidates episode, which you can check out in our archives, Gase tailors his offense to guys that can make advanced decisions, advanced reads. Darnold fits that bill. Ryan Tannehill didn't. So I think Darnold will do well in Gase's system. So those are the positives right off the bat. What I'm worried about are all the negatives that came out. You had all of these players reportedly going to management, including Frank Gore and Cam Wake, who are two of the most respected veterans in the entire league. It means he didn't have the respect of the players, and that's worrisome, especially for somebody who's only been a head coach for such a short period of time. We heard the story about Rashad Jones pulling himself out of the game and Gase not even knowing about it until the press told him later in the presser. That's concerning. It reminds me of what happened with Rex Ryan where he had no idea what was going on within his own team or on the offensive side of the ball. It would be in reverse for Gase not knowing what was happening on the defensive side of the ball. And it also tells you about his communication with the coaching staff that nobody in the coaching staff even bothered to tell him. I worry about his ability to select a staff because his staff in Miami, quite frankly, wasn't very good. I worry about his ability to work with management, upper management, and everybody around him because there was that story about him getting into that cursing match with Stephen Ross, the owner of the team. I know people will say who cares about that, but quite frankly, this is the real world. You can't act like that. It shows a very immature person. I wonder if he's going to be able to handle himself well here. And if the media gets on his case, that could be a problem too because there was no accountability with him. You heard from Travis Wingfield. It was nothing but excuses. Injuries, injuries, injuries. The other team was great. The other team was pumped up. Never anything on his end of the spectrum. He never took responsibility for any of his failures. That also is concerning because it shows there's no introspection there, and that's something that's desperately needed with Adam Gase because, let's be honest, this is a guy who was touted as this genius offensive mind. He comes in there, he has a winning season his first year, goes to the playoffs, starting to feel himself like he can do no wrong. Sometimes guys like that need to be taken down a peg, and for, say, somebody like Bill Belichick, For five years, he was an assistant again after he was let go from his job as the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. It took him a while to earn his way back. We saw something similar happen with Josh McDaniels. Now, obviously, he could have had a head coaching job if he wanted it the last couple of years, but it took a few years for him to build his reputation back up to the point where teams were interested I look at Gase and I see a situation very similar to somebody like Rex Ryan, who had a reasonably short tenure with the Jets, was fired after an unsuccessful couple of years, and then went right into another job and failed because he didn't have time to have any kind of introspection and sit back and evaluate his mistakes and realize what he did wrong and grow and learn. Same thing with Eric Mangini when he was fired from the Jets and went on to the Browns. There are several other cases. Most of the time, when a guy is successful right away after being let go from a job, it's somebody like, say, Andy Reid, who had been at a job for a really long time, and there was a change of scenery needed. He went somewhere else, and he was able to do well there. It's not typically somebody who has such a short tenure in his first stint, and then immediately goes on to another job and succeeds. Remember, Pete Carroll was fired from the Jets after one year. Then he went and was a coordinator for a couple of years before getting another shot. Then he failed there. Then he had to go to the college route for a couple of years. Then he came back after succeeding there and finally was able to do well with the Seahawks. So that was a long process. I feel like with Gase, if he had gone and been a coordinator again for another couple of years, maybe there would have been a better shot. This worries me a lot. And for a guy that is supposed to be this great offensive mind, I worry a lot about his ability to utilize the players on his team, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, because defense, we already know he's very hands off. And I said that that worries me because there's a disconnect the way there was with Rex and Bowles in reverse. But with this, you heard from Travis Wingfield about the poor usage of the guys on his roster, specifically Kenyon Drake, who, by the way, had requested a trade if Gase was staying. Jarvis Landry is another guy who you saw tweeted something like LOL when Gase got fired. So a lot of concern about him using the right guys and putting guys in the right places for them to maximize their success. A lot of strange play calls as well. A lot of in-game decisions that didn't make a lot of sense. And there's the fact that I don't really see this major success that people are talking about. He tried to get Ryan Tannehill to play within his system rather than trying to work a system around Tannehill's talents, and it fell miserably. We saw Tannehill regress majorly this past year. People talk about a success of Peyton Manning, but again, he had the number two ranked offense in the league and then the number one ranked offense in the league the two years he was offensive coordinator. The year before he was offensive coordinator, and it was Mike McCoy. The team had the number two ranked offense. So to me, that indicates that it's much more a product of Peyton Manning and the talent that was there than whoever was calling the plays. We talk about the one year in Chicago with Jay Cutler. Everybody says, what a great job he did with Cutler. Except if you look at Cutler's numbers, they were fairly similar to the other numbers that he had put up there. And on top of it, Gase came in and led the Bears to the 21st ranked offense in the league. That doesn't necessarily tell you anything on its own, except for this, the year before he showed up, they were 21st in the league. So he didn't move the needle in any way. And with Miami, you saw it. They weren't all that special his first year, even when Tannehill was healthy and they went to the playoffs. They were bottom half of the league. And the last two years, granted, I know he had Brock Osweiler for a couple of games this past year, and I know that he had Jay Cutler and Matt Moore the year before, but still, for somebody who's such an offensive mastermind, they shouldn't have been in the bottom five or six offenses in the entire league. He should have figured out a way to be creative enough to at least get them into the low 20s. That said, I'm not saying he's not a good offensive mind. I think he's a perfectly competent offensive mind. I just haven't seen this. Special elite offensive creativity That I keep hearing from some people the evidence, uh, the evidence doesn't seem to bear that out right now Maybe it's there Maybe he's waiting to unleash it I hope that's the case But I can only go based on what I see And so far, all I see is a guy Who's a competent offensive mind But nothing special And nothing to get super excited about The way that some people in the media And some others are talking about him So there's a ton of baggage here And I'm not saying he can't succeed. I just think that if you look at the evidence there, from his personality to the decision making to handling his staff to the attitude that he displayed to the actual results that were produced, it seems like a very bad bet if you're the Jets. Again, he could do well. I hope he does. And I think Sam Darnold will be fine. I think he's going to do well in Gase's system. I think he'd do well in any system. But I do think Gase's system fits him fine. And so that's one thing I'm not worried at all about. But I am worried about all the rest of this stuff here. I'm worried about his ability to select a coaching staff. I'm worried about his ability to make decisions in game. I'm worried about his usage of players, particularly on offense. I'm worried about relationships with players and management. And quite frankly, I don't really like the way that this process played out. Peyton Manning making a phone call, I guess that's fine. But Peyton Manning never had to work with Adam Gase as a head coach. And even so, yeah, Peyton Manning's a Hall of Famer and it's nice to have his input. But that shouldn't play any major role in your decision. The idea that McCagnan and Heimerdinger wanted to pick staff for Matt Rule seems a little ridiculous to me. A, what have they done to earn that right? And B, if you wanted this guy and trusted him to be the coach, you had to trust him to do it his way or there was no point. He was never going to come here to be a puppet. With McCarthy, look, if you really wanted him, get a deal done. Figure out a way to meet his demands or come close enough and get a deal done. I was not a McCarthy proponent But if that's who you wanted, they should have found a way to get that deal done, especially after he put out the statement saying that it was the Jets or nothing. So I just don't really like the way that this process was handled. It seems like while they like Case, he was probably their third choice. And based on his track record, I don't like his odds of success. But now he comes in here as the new head coach. He's going to have a clean slate, and let's hope for the best. That's really all I can say.
2: I think you summed it up pretty nicely, I think, yeah, there are those red flags of his inconsistent demeanor and approach and whether he was overly emotional and some things that players talked about after he got fired and and in terms of the things that went wrong for him there, and he doesn't have one to correct those things you know if he, if he even use those as flaws within his own you know his own methods, so um he's got to turn right around here and take over this ailing jets team and try to fix this offense and um yeah, it's a big challenge for him to, to get himself right and to to, and to look at himself and, and assess and determine what went wrong and how to fix it in a pretty short period of time here.
3: Daryl, last thing before we go... To the best of your knowledge, how did this search get run? Was it Christopher Johnson at the top? Was it a collaborative effort with Johnson, Heimerdinger, and Mike McKagnon? Was Woody Johnson somehow covertly involved in any way? I know that's a bit of a conspiracy theory, but still, what was your understanding of how this process was run?
2: I mean, Christopher Johnson laid it out pretty well at the start uh, of the process. You know, the final decision was his. Woody Johnson was not involved in the search, and and the search was done in. in consultation with Brian Heimerdinger and Mike McCagnan. So um you know, it, it, which is as it as it should be. And now you can argue whether the, the coach should not be reporting to the owner as the GM does, um and the reporting structure and all that. I don't I think a lot is made of that reporting structure in terms of how problematic it is or could be. And the bottom line is if you hire the right guy it doesn't really matter who reports to who. Um, and obviously there are questions here about whether the Jets did hire the right guy, but um, but yeah, that that was that was how you know. Christopher Johnson said it was going to go down. He was going to make the final call, um, but that he he would do the interviews and those sort of things in consultation with uh, Brian Heimerdinger and my and uh, Mike McCaggan.
3: He's a great beat reporter over at NJ.com and New Jersey Advanced Media, Mr. Daryl Slater. Daryl, as always, thanks so much for hopping on. By the way, I got to give your partner in crime, Mr. Matt Stypkowski a little bit of a piece of my mind for using one of my tweets without my express written permission. What's going on over there at NJ.com?
2: <laughs> I guess you can always make your Twitter private, but that would defeat the whole purpose of, uh, <laughs> of, of trying to publicize the podcast, I guess. Uh, so yeah, I guess, you know, there were a lot of angry jet fans and still are. So we put together a whole compilation of, of those, but I, you know, some people have come out and, and, and praise the hire too. Um, Oh, let's just see. We put up a poll here and we asked if people approved of the hire. So as right here live, I will, uh, I will click on this poll and see where we are at here in terms of the votes. Alright, so, let view results. And only 991 people have voted and 755 say the Jets did not make the right call. Which is seventy six percent. Twenty-three percent say they did make the right call. That's two hundred and thirty six. So you're looking at three quarters of the people who voted almost a thousand people. Uh, think the Jets didn't did not make the right call. So you're not you're not in the minority there, and we'll see if what you know time proves the majority of folks wrong.
3: I really hope that this works out and that I end up being wrong. I will say this again. All I can do is go based on the current evidence, and the current evidence says that this was not a good idea. If the current evidence ends up not holding up, great. I'll be happy if Adam Gase leads this team to three consecutive Super Bowls or something like that. Believe me, that's all I want. That's all any Jets fan wants is for this team to be good. So we've got our fingers crossed. It's over now. It's done with, and let's hope for the best Daryl, thanks so much for coming on. We know Matt's got that piece up there with Jet Fan Reaction. What else is cooking up there at NJ.com with you guys?
2: Yeah, just a whole bunch of stuff uh, in the wake of the hiring. Uh, that of Gase, we have uh, you know some some reasons why it could work, some reasons why it might not work. A lot of the stuff we talked about here, um, a look at who Gase might be targeting for his coaching staff and some of the winners and losers from um, from this process of the hiring of Gase. and uh some things to know about Gaze sort of his background the poll that i mentioned uh and then uh, there's something on you know here's what going forward what are the things that Gaze has to fix about the jets we have a rundown of that. There's, you know now it becomes uh that's his task you know um cause, you know went over this fan base you gonna have to fix these things and then w- what are some of those things and we run them down there so whole bunch of stuff up there and appreciate everybody reading and listening as always
3: Thank you so much, Daryl. Really appreciate it. We will talk again in a couple of days, I'm sure, because there is no rest for the wicked. With this team, there's always something going on. So we will have plenty more to talk about. In the meantime, go ahead and check out Daryl and Matt Stipakowski over at NJ.com. While you're there, you'll see my tweet in that tweet column by Matt. So, Matt, I expect my royalty check any day now. (laughs) Don't forget also to check out all the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast content, and you know where to go for that. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.
1: With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway, and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.